0: audio podcast so today on the podcast i was working on putting the audio up from the weekend at north shore vineyard and we had some problem with the audio recording it didn't come out right so uh which is really a bummer it was a great lively interactive time um, with folks there But I have taken the audio, I did a very similar message on my other podcast called Extra Crispy, so I have taken that and put it on here. So it's the same basic message, but there's no live audience. So just be forewarned, I think you'll still dig it anyway. So this is the scandalous surprise of Christmas. Thanks for listening. wasn't that many years ago that I found myself quite often making fun of joking about crotchety old guys some of these crotchety old guys were my friends and I was not making fun of them behind their back I would I would give them a good ribbing in front of them like dude you're so crotchety man you're so grumpy (laughs) But I've started to realize now, you know, I'm 46 years old. I get it. I get it. It just kind of creeps up on you. It's kind of like the need to wear reading glasses. For Most of my life, I've had better than 20-20 vision. And a couple of years ago, it didn't matter that my iPhones kept getting bigger and bigger. I had to break down and buy a pair of reading glasses from CVS. And I've already had to up the uh, the magnification <laughs> another level since I've got glasses and crotchetyism is that a word it, it's it's creeping up on me I find it in my comments about the music that young people are listening to today but come on let's get real let's get real the music even objectively it's just not as good For the most part. There are some exceptions to the rules. Some wonderful exceptions. But by and large, it's pretty crappy. And by and large, look, hey, when I was in high school, you know, a lot of the pop music was pretty crappy back then too. But at least there was some variety. At least there was some innovation. I didn't like it all. But, okay, see, I'm getting crotchety right now. And just talking about how I don't want to be crotchety. It's This is how it happens. So I've realized recently that... You know, without some great intentionality in my life, I'm destined to be a crotchety old cynical guy. And I don't want that. I want to keep my heart open. I want to be nice and joyful. I want to see the bright side of things. (laughs) But this crotchetiness, it doesn't just happen in life in general. Part of it is, you know, being a pastor I I mostly enjoy being a pastor. I've been a pastor now, a head pastor for nine years. I've been in some form of ministry for 25 years. But there are certain things about pastoring that make me crotchety. And one of those is the Christmas holiday season. I don't want to be a Grinch. I don't want to be Scrooge. But... When part of your vocation is to help people connect with the meaning of Christmas and to experience God's presence in their lives, it seems like quite a tall order. And unlike some of the other religious holidays that, you know, kind of get wrapped up in a day, Christmas is this whole season. So as a pastor, you know, I I find you know I've got to speak about Christmas-related things for not one service, but four or five services every year. And it wasn't always this way. I wasn't always crotchety about it. (laughs) I I had been the music director at a church for seven years before we started North Shore Vineyard, and that church at one point when I was on staff there was doing seven services on the weekend and briefly even got up to eight weekend services. So I would, I would, and I was still playing gigs and bars and stuff. So there would be some weekends where between the gigs I was playing rehearsals and playing seven services. I was between Friday night and Sunday afternoon. I was playing like 20 hours worth of music, but it also meant that when it came time for Christmas Eve, they had four Christmas Eve services back to back. So it was just this marathon thing. And and I kind of made a vow when I was on staff there. Like I'd never grown I'd never gone to Christmas Eve services as church at churches growing up or been a part of churches that did that until I was on staff there. And I kind of made this vow like I'm never gonna have a Christmas Eve service if I ever pastor a church of my own. Of course, in two thousand nine when we were In the early days of getting North Shore Vineyard started, we had not had our services open to the public yet. We're still trying to figure out what to do. It was about a week before Christmas, and I was like, let's do a Christmas Eve service. And it was a lovely service. It was just, it wasn't any nativity scene or anything. It was just simple, you know, had a couple acoustic guitars and just a very intimate gathering. It just felt like family. It was wonderful. And so I decided to do it the next year. And I, and I was new into, I'd moved from the New Orleans area across the lake to Covington, and Covington is a wonderful place to be at Christmas, the the old town that's been there for 200 years, and, and even of Springs where I live, it's, it's, it's a fun place to be at Christmas. So I think I was kind of taken in by all that, and the first few years, it went pretty good, and I actually got to where I was looking forward to Christmas Eve and doing those services, but I gotta say, the last few years, it it starts to feel like a, a bit of a tyranny sometimes because, let's face it, Christmas is a really mixed bag of traditions. If you spend 10 or 20 minutes looking up all the various symbols and traditions that get piled into Christmas, it is a mixed bag Obviously, some of the things that get into Christmas come from ancient Judaism and obviously early Christianity. But then you have ancient Rome as well. You've got the Germanic peoples, the Celts, all kinds of things. And so we end up with all these things. And and look, I'm not opposed to Christmas trees and poinsettias and holly and mistletoe and all that stuff. I like holiday decorations as much as anybody, as long as I don't have to put them up or take them down. That's the worst part. (laughs) But it's, it's, it's a really mixed bag. And so you have all of these various traditions that are piled on top of sweet Lord baby Jesus and then filtered through the lens of consumerism and marketing so that we will buy more stuff you know, what really makes me crotchety. I saw this commercial. I was up at at my dad's in Texas and, and on the, on Thanksgiving, the saints played the Falcons and it was a good game, a lot better than the game that came after it. (laughs) And I saw one of the commercials and you, you may have seen it. It's, it is a version of of the types of commercials that have been appearing for years. But as the commercial goes, I think it's a, you know, a guy and his wife and they are, Sitting you know having a glass of wine or so, something you know together in their house on christmas eve and and the guy tells his wife, "Why don't you go outside honey and um, and she walks outside to find two brand new vehicles i mean we're we're probably talking in the neighborhood of eighty eighty five thousand dollars worth of cars out there. one is a big pickup truck, and the other's a you know a compact SUV and he's like, "You pick whichever one you want, and she picks the truck. And that's kind of the uh, punchline of the commercial that, you know, like he expected that she would pick the SUV and she picks the truck. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of how ridiculous this commercial is. Like what percentage of the population of the United States could even get that joke? I mean, I maybe there's a group of people that every Christmas they buy each other new cars. But when I'm watching this commercial, I'm thinking... I can just imagine this guy in this commercial just you know, having drinks at the bar with his friends a few weeks later going, so Stacy and I were hanging out on Christmas Eve drinking wine, as we always do on Christmas Eve. We like it nice and intimate like that. And then I told her to go outside, and I had both vehicles out there, and I was sure she was going to choose the SUV, but she chose the truck. <laughs> like... What a, a weird, out-of-touch commercial. But, and see, and and that's the stuff that gets me crotchety. So somehow in the midst of all this stuff, I have to try to help people experience the the meaning under it. And we hear calls for this every year. You know, Jesus is the reason for the season, or keep Christ in Christmas. At this point, I would just like to keep Christ in Christians. More crotchetiness. I know, I know. It's... The more I try to get rid of it, the more it keeps popping up. (laughs) But the thing is, uh, you know, for those who have even listened to this podcast, I I have talked about how impactful the incarnation has been, you know, of, of Christ has been in my own journey. And so Christmas to me is one of my favorite seasons spiritually. So it is a weird mixed bag for me. But in spite of all of the the craziness, the consumerism, and all that stuff, I still do think that there are windows into some of the underlying components of the story that are very profound, namely anticipation and surprise. I remember when I was a child, I, you know, the week or weeks leading up to Christmas, or maybe even days. I mean, when you're a child, days seem like weeks. But I remember when I would see a present or two appear underneath the Christmas tree in our house with my name on them. And that was such a cool thing. I mean, it was kind of torture when you're a kid to to have to look at a present. But the anticipation of it all was just almost unbearable sometimes. And I would find myself underneath the christmas tree grabbing this beautifully wrapped box that contained something for me that i could open up on christmas day and i would hold the box i would see how much it weighed was this the weight of a lego set was this the weight of a x-wing falcon toy was this the weight of socks i hope not (laughs) and then on christmas morning you know you'd tear off the wrapper and and open up the box to reveal the treasure inside and that was such a key component this component of anticipation and surprise now not all surprises that i experienced as a child were good (laughs) as in general not all surprises are good there's that cool surprise when you're going to raisin Cane's for some chicken fingers and they accidentally give you an extra chicken finger. That's an awesome surprise. But there are other surprises that are not so awesome. <laughs> when I was about, I think, probably three and a half, four years old, it was around Christmas and my, my dad had told me, he says, you know, you better be good because if you're not good, you're going to get switches and ashes in your stocking. I didn't even know what switches and ashes were. He explained it to me. I was not too worried, though, because I thought of myself as a fine, upstanding citizen. <laughs> I mean, I'm an only child. I didn't have any brothers or sisters to get in trouble with, so, you know, it's that was kind of helpful. So I wasn't too worried about switches and ashes. And besides, I had this wonderful stocking that my granny had made for me that had my name and sequined letters on the front of it. And not only that, it was not only decorated beautifully, it was big so it could hold a lot of stuff. And so the night before Christmas, I I beheld my stocking hung by the chimney with care and I went to bed with anticipation that I'd wake up the next morning and grab my stocking before everybody woke up because that's the one thing I, I was allowed to get at before we opened presents. And so the next morning... I arose from my bed and I ran into the living room and I looked up where my stocking had been hanging on the mantle the night before and it wasn't there. Instead of a stocking there was this nasty old tube sock with holes in the toes filled with ashes and sticks and coal. <laughs> and I stood there with quivered chin, tears beginning to well up in my eyes well all the while unbeknownst to me my dad is standing behind the christmas tree with a camera to document the whole thing see folks i am the way i am it it, i it goes back to a lot of stuff this probably explains some things to (laughs) y'all now it was it it's funny looking back on it it scarred me deeply (laughs) no they returned my actual stocking to me promptly and And that was fun. But this whole element of anticipation and surprise is a really important element of the Advent story. See, it is... There was an anticipation by so many people in that part of the world at the time that God was was one day going to send a Messiah, a Rescuer, and... There's a lot of people at that time that kind of had it figured out what that was going to look like. There were a lot of people who were powerful and rich and religious experts that probably assumed if God was going to do this thing, they were going to be the ones who got in on it. The scandalous surprise of the story, though, is that as one of my favorite songwriters, Bruce Coburn, uh, wrote, it isn't to the palace that the Christ child comes but to shepherds and street people, hookers and bums. See, the ones who got in on the story, it wasn't the Kardashians of their day. It wasn't the Donald Trumps or Vladimir Putins of their day. It was the simplest, humblest of people. Mary and Joseph, a, a teenage couple, living in an obscure part of the Roman Empire, The ones who heard the choir of angels singing were simple shepherd men who were doing a job nobody wanted to do, you know? They got in on it. And then there was these other characters that you see in every nativity scene, the the magi. The equivalent today would be like New Age astrologers. These guys weren't even a part of their religion or their beliefs. They were foreigners. (laughs) So the people that get, the the ones that actually get in on the, the coming of Christ it's, it's a random assortment of obscure characters that, you know, these were not people who were taste makers or power brokers of their day. Shepherds, animals, <laughs> new age astrologers, and, and this teenage couple there at the Nativity. But it wasn't just the birth of Christ, it wasn't just that. That just started this whole theme that would be continued throughout the life of Christ. Jesus, you know, people initially, even the religious, they were okay with some of the things he was teaching. They, they, they A lot of people were speculating that he might be a prophet. He was, he was definitely a rabbi. But then, you know, people start speculating that he might be the Messiah. The problem is he didn't match what they thought the Messiah ought to look like. See, many people at that time were expecting the Messiah was going to be this conquering warlord, somebody who was going to, maybe like Moses even, you know, deliver Israel from the yoke of oppression of the foreign empire that had been dominating them, like so many others had. Jesus didn't seem at all interested in that. And and furthermore, the people that Jesus kept hanging around with, he wasn't he didn't seem to be kissing up to the powerful, whether be whether they be religious or politically powerful. He just really didn't seem interested in any of that. He was more at home with common people and, and sinners and those kind of on the fringes of things. There's a a wonderful, interesting passage in John chapter five. 39 through 40 Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and I love this so much wisdom here I'm reading from the message version of this you have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there but you miss the forest for the trees these scriptures are all about me and here I am standing right before you and you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want Whoa, now. Jesus is saying, Look, you guys, you are experts in reading the map and arguing over all the symbols on the map and the typography of the map. You've got this thing figured out better than anyone, except you've become so focused on the map that you can't see the reality towards which the map points. Thankfully, that's just something that people struggled with back then. We have evolved beyond that in religion today. (laughs) Not, (laughs) you know, when I was a teenager, I remember there was this book that came out, came out called 88 Reasons the Lord Will Return in 1988. Well, the next year they came out with 89 Reasons (laughs) the Lord Will Return in 1989. (laughs) <laughs> one of the first reasons being because he didn't return in 1988 <laughs> but we see this stuff kind of every year where people are prophesying the you know the 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 rapture the end of the world the return of christ and they have to keep changing their math a little bit they got the formula wrong and look i get it some of that stuff is pretty fascinating i actually went through a, a time in when i was uh, a very new christian where i was just completely fascinated by you know who is the antichrist what's the mark of the beast and all this stuff and there was a radio show that i used to listen to on an am station out of new orleans in the afternoons and they would spend so much of the episode trying to decode the symbols from the bible to figure out well this represents china invading the united states and uh, Gorbachev is going to be the, the Antichrist. And if not Gorbachev, it's going to be the Pope. And if not the Pope, it's, you know, there was all these predictions. And and, and still to this day, I, I increasingly am seeing people who are just fascinated by that. And they've got, they're figuring it all out. And they're treating it as as if the the people who predicted this and failed before them just didn't quite have the symbols decoded right, didn't have the math right. But they've got it figured out. It is also ironic to me, though, that so many of the people that I see that are so worried about the Antichrist happen to believe things about God that are very Antichrist. They don't look like Jesus at all. (laughs) So it is... It's, it's a weird mixed bag. But looking at the the, the story of, of, of Advent, looking at Jesus through scriptures ought to give us a little bit of humility concerning how God will show up. Because the ones who thought they'd figured out how God was going to show up back then totally missed it. And I think that, that the Christmas story gives us, uh, encourages us to anticipate that we can encounter God. But it also encourages us to to stay in a posture of humility. God, I expect that if you're out there, I can encounter you. And I want to be awake to that and open to that. I want to be ready to experience you, whether it's in a conversation with a friend or a neighbor or a stranger, whether it's with my own kids, my wife, my uh, whether it's in nature, whether it is through art or music or movie or literature. I want to experience the presence of God. And I'm anticipating that that can happen, but I'm not putting demands on how that has to happen. Because when we do that, the moment we think we know how God is going to show up is usually the moment where we have lost the plot. So the Christmas story encourages us to pee in this posture of humility this childlike posture and that's you know that's what i think that you know watching kids get presents and open them on christmas i think that there is something in that even though it's it's filtered through commercialism and all that stuff i think there is something in that childlike wonder anticipation and then the receiving of the gift that is profound and that we can all learn from wherever we're at in this holiday season i want to close by reading uh, uh, some words from uh, one of my favorite authors, Father Richard Rohr, who is a Franciscan priest, author of numerous books, and he's writing about this this simple prayer that the early church prayed, which was uh, in Aramaic called Maranatha, and it just means "Come, Lord Jesus." So he starts this this little section off that I'm reading. He says, "This, Come, Lord Jesus, the Advent mantra." means that all of Christian history has to live out of a kind of deliberate emptiness, a kind of chosen non-fulfillment. Perfect fullness is always to come, and we do not need to demand it now. This keeps the field of life wide open, and especially open, to grace, and to a future created by God rather than ourselves. This is exactly what it means to be awake. As the gospel urges us, We can also use other words for Advent. Aware, alive, attentive, alert, awake are all appropriate. Advent is above all else a call to full consciousness and a forewarning about the high price of consciousness. When we demand satisfaction of one another... And when we demand any completion to history on our terms, when we demand that our anxiety or any dissatisfaction be taken away, saying as it were, why weren't you this for me? Why didn't life do that for me? We are refusing to say, come Lord Jesus. We are refusing to hold out for the full picture that is always given by God. Come Lord Jesus is a leap into the kind of freedom and surrender that is rightly called the virtue of hope. The theological virtue of hope is the patient and trustful willingness to live without closure, without resolution, and still be content and even happy because our satisfaction is now at another level and our source is beyond ourselves. We are able to trust that he will come again, just as Jesus has come in our past, into our private dilemmas, and into our suffering world. Our Christian past then becomes our Christian prologue. And come, Lord Jesus, is not a cry of desperation, but an assured shout of cosmic hope. So, I, my prayer for you this Christmas season that you can enter into that that somehow amidst all the the pressures and the stresses and the anxiety of the season and and look it's it's a tough season if if you are prone to depression you will probably experience depression more acutely during the holidays if if you feel lonely you will probably experience that in a stronger way as well but my hope for you my prayer for you is that you can dial down and just just pray that simple prayer. Lord, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, help me be awake to what your Spirit is doing. Help me to not, not, not be so distracted by all the other things going around that I miss your Spirit. Help me not to be distracted even about my own ideas of, of what God ought to look like and how God ought to show up. Let me enter into this time with a, a humble expectancy. And may you find the spirit as you do. Well, Merry Christmas, y'all. Thanks for listening.